Welcome to Follow the Money Ball, a podcast at the intersection of sports and business. Here's your host, David Sloan. I'm David Sloan, and I have opinions. I also have 44 years of experience as an agent for MLB players that back those opinions up. I would like to welcome my guest today, Brad Hermanson. Brad is a former professional player and a man of many varied talents and experiences in the world of sport. How are you doing today, Chad? I'm doing fantastic, David. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. So you live in Las Vegas currently. Is that where you always lived? So I I grew up initially in Salt Lake until I was about 11 years old. So grew up up in the mountains. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, my dad brought us out here to Las Vegas back in 1989, 11 years old and in Henderson, Nevada. So just a few minutes away from the strip. So there's kind of two places in in Vegas. There's like Henderson and then Summerlin when kind of the two big names and where you figure out where to live out here. And yeah, so I've been in Henderson uh, since I was 11. So it's been my home for a long time. Well, I imagine when you first moved to Henderson, uh, there wasn't a whole lot there because yeah, that was basically the dam coming up from Arizona where I went to college and going to Las Vegas the first several times I went there, you know, you hit the dam. And then when I first went there, which was back in the seventies, it was like, Oh, there's a sign saying Henderson. (laughs) You drive past a gas station or two. And then, you know, a few minutes later you're in Las Vegas, but Henderson just blew up. Yeah, it was, uh, we, we now have the the 15 that goes through Las Vegas. It's always been right. there. And now you got the 215, which used to be called Lake Mead Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just a street, essentially. And so that's, that's turned into a whole freeway that really wraps around the whole city. And um, so there was nothing like when we have a train track that goes through, you know, at least to where I'm at anyway. And there was really nothing south of that track. And now yeah. uh, there's homes all the way up the mountain. So it, it's yeah. huge. It's expanded big time in the last 20 years. I um, reached out to you when you were a senior at Green Valley High School, correct? That was the name of the school, if I recall correctly. And we got together and talked about what I brought to the table as uh, potentially an agent for you because you were one of the best prospects in the country. And that was borne out by the position where you were drafted. You were what, ninth pick in the country? Tenth pick that year. Tenth pick. I was close. I was close. close. I was only off by one. <laughs> okay. You were tenth pick in the country, drafted by the Pirates. Now you were an outfielder. Fortunately for you, you were the tenth pick in the country. Unfortunately for you, it was the Pirates because they were a, <laughs> they were a shit show back then and were a shit show for many years after they drafted you. And, you know, no doubt that had a, a impact on your career. I won't ask you to, to comment on it because I don't want to put you in a position where you're perceived as saying any, you know, anything negative about the organization that signed you uh, out of high school or anything. But uh, again, having been in the business myself and followed their player development, and I use that term very loosely because they didn't develop many players their player development program back then, it was in fact a shit show. So um, talk to us about what it's like to be a high school prospect and have how many scouts at a time. There were a bunch of them. I know the game uh, that I came out there to see you play. Uh, I can't imagine that was the peak. You probably had even more at uh, some other games because the team you were playing 
the day I was there was not the greatest team. And I imagine <laughs> when you played other teams in the, in the city uh, that had better prospects on it, you drew even more scouts and college teams that were all over you as well. I, I imagine what's that experience like as a 17, 18 year old kid, because they they probably didn't just show up your senior year, right? When when were you, when were you first cognizant of scouts being present at your games and that they were there to see you as opposed to see someone else? Yeah, it's so Green Valley when I was my freshman year is when Green Valley opened. So that was around like the 91, 92. So it was about 92, right? Okay. Um so we already had, you know, in Las Vegas we had nobody was really well, there were some scouts there. Uh, like three or four guys. Manny Guerra was probably the main one who was always around. Um, I met scout and then Carl, kind of like old old school scouts. Um, we didn't know if they were full time scouts, bird dogs, but they were they were there because mm-hmm. we had we actually didn't have a senior senior year class my freshman year. Um, so the big school before that was Valley High School, right? Mm-hmm. That's where Greg Maddox came from, Tyler mm-hmm. Houston. Marabelli, mm-hmm. Steve Rodriguez, all these guys. So Roger Fairless was the head coach of Valley High School and coached all those guys. Right. He he came to the the new school, Green Valley, and was the baseball coach there. And so um, he came with a big reputation of developing players extremely hard on them. Um, yeah, you're you're gonna work right, and and we're I'm building champions here, and and we're gonna work and get this thing done. Um, it worked my second year, my sophomore year, uh, was the first year of six straight state championships. That's impressive. Built a, built a powerhouse. So if, if anyone's in the Las Vegas area, kind of, kind of West coast in a way knows about the, the 1990s, mid nineties, um, green Valley teams, um, that just kind of, but they were just really good. They brought out a lot of players. A lot of kids went to college, you know, a few, few got drafted and, um, and all these things. So uh, as far as the scouts go, they were there starting my freshman year. I, I was 14, you know, I was 17 when I got, when I was drafted. So still pretty young, mm-hmm. uh, but it really, the big, where it really all started was the area code games. Um, the summer of going into my, my senior year, my junior year. Right. Uh, so we, we had very, very successful um, little league teams that you know we got little league world series happening in williamsport pennsylvania right now so right. that 12 year old is the big like oh i got to get to the 12 year old little league world series um that didn't happen that year but we knew we had a really good team so the next year the 13 year old team we went to the little league world series in taylor michigan and took it all the way and lost a text spring texas uh, in the championship so we took second in the world and we we were like we got something here. The next year's 14-year-olds, we lost in the Western Regional Final. That well, that close to going to the next year's World Series, so we missed that by one game. The 15-year-olds, we got we won. We got back to the World Series in Kissimmee, Florida, that kind of closer to your area back down there. Yeah, yeah. So that was big back then, right? Kids still played the little league up until I was I was a sophomore in high school playing mm-hmm. there. That's kind of probably unheard of. I don't even know if it's still around anymore, but um, but that whole nucleus created all the kids that went to Green Valley and and just we played really well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, became a national 
national ranked team, you know, pretty quickly. And so, but that junior year, when I got to the area code games, um, I was, a, I was an outfielder my freshman, sophomore year. And coach Fairless said, Hey, our, he came to me prior to the junior year starting. He's like, Hey, our shortstop draft or he graduated. He's going to UNLV. Um, you're going to be my shortstop next year. Like you're, you're the man for the job. Do you want it? And, and I'm kind of like, you know, you don't say no to coach. Right. <laughs> like, let's go, let's do this. Right. And, right. Right. Um, and he would scare you to death, you know, cause he had this, this big intimidating look with the cowboy Fu Manchu mustache and he'd just stare into your soul and try to intimidate you and, um, made you tough. Right. And so he, you know, I played a little, I played shortstop in little league and then kind of infield outfield a little bit back and forth there. I'm like, okay, looks like I'm going back to shortstop. And so just worked my butt off there. He, he taught me how to play short again and. Um, I could out, you know, I had the tools, you know, and I could really hit, uh, hit, hit for power. I could hit it all over the place, ran well, could throw hard. Um, my accuracy was terrible, right? I, um, you probably remember that I really kind of had the yips from shortstop. Um, and so the struggled really mentally with that part of the game, just throwing. Um, cause I was always, I always threw hard as I was that hard throwing little league, right. But I would drill everybody you know, no clue where it's going. I have no flexibility at all in my shoulder, but just like, whack, you know, <laughs> um, which, which led, led to like, dude, this, I don't know if this shortstop thing's going to work. Um, but yeah, but then went to the area code games. Um, you probably remember the name. I think it, what was his name? Uh, I would say Doug McMillan, the giants. He was a giant scout lived up in Northern California, invited me to come play on his team. Uh, Jimmy Rollins was a second baseman and wow. I was a shortstop. So um, one like defensive player of the whole thing hit pretty well. And they're like, man, who's this, who's this six two, 175 pound shortstop. That's just killing it. And then became the big name, you know, as far as the top shortstop, it was me and Michael Barrett, right. That, that senior yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and Barrett became a catcher and, uh, yeah. There had to be a lot of eyes on Jimmy Rollins as well. And those yeah. eyes were also on you. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy was actually a year younger. So he was, he was a year younger, but in, and was, so he was kind of an up and coming guy and he was right. five, eight, 140 pounds. And was he really that small? He was wow. tiny, but just he flew really? everywhere. Like just, yeah. you know, he had it then. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah. So then after that area code games, that's when all the, you know, nothing was happening with college yet. You know, it wasn't as, as not even UNLV, nothing to like, like nothing like serious, you know? Okay. Uh, and then after that, it just blew up. So um, every, every major team in the country you could think of was sending me letters, trying to get a hold of me. And it was very overwhelming right at the beginning. I'm like, Whoa, this is a lot. And then all of a sudden the agents came, right. And right. Like, hey, like, it looks like you're going to be a top guy next year. And, uh, so that all happened really quickly um, within a matter of months, you know, so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just soak this in and see what's happening. But I knew I wanted to play pro ball. Like I was, school was fine, but I was like, no, nah, I'm going to be a big leader. And so that was my mindset and um, worked, worked really hard my senior year, uh, got after it in the weight room, you know, did all the things that you're supposed to do and, and uh, um, ended up getting drafted where I was, 
you know, so mm-hmm. it's, it was a quick year <laughs> that, uh, you know, I, I tell the story on my podcast too, that, you know, I had, I had Greg Maddox in my house, you know, my senior year, he was Scott Boris guy and right, right. Scott was courting my services too. And, um, yeah, so he, he brought Greg Maddox, a future hall of famer into my house and I'm 17 and I'm like, this is amazing. Right. What is, and, and what, and what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for for an area that really at that point didn't have that great a population, and yeah. Vegas still doesn't have a ton of people there in the metropolitan area. Um, they had quite a, a productive uh, baseball, uh, mm-hmm. what do you whatever you want to call it, foundation or factory almost. Because you mentioned I, I recruited Doug Mirabelli. Did you ever play against Anthony Pluto? No, no. You know who he is? With, I'm not familiar with him. He yeah. was a pitcher. I'm trying to remember what high school he went to. Can't remember, but he wound up getting drafted. Um, um, Anthony Bonifazio, he was from mm-hmm. there. He wound up mm-hmm. getting drafted. Um, there was just a whole, I'm trying to remember. I had a lot of Gorman guys. Right? Yeah, a lot of Gorman blowing guys. up at Gorman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, again, for a place that that didn't have millions of people in it, they produced a lot of players, a lot of players. And um, I, I'm surprised that nothing really happened until your junior year. But then again, looking back on it, uh, again, coming from an area that didn't have a huge population and probably wasn't really known quite yet yeah. for being that productive. It was that, that, yeah, probably... I would say maybe a year or two before your senior year was when Tommy Boudreau, that was a guy, I mm-hmm. represented a guy by the name of Tommy Boudreau, who was from Las Vegas, I think Centennial High School. There's a Centennial High School there. I remember the name. I don't know much about him, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the first guy who I ever represented from uh, from Las Vegas. And, um, you know, him and, and guys that came after him, he's the one who referred me to Mirabelli. And um, it was right around then when when the guys in your area first started really getting noticed. And then after you, it just, uh, boom. I mean, a lot of guys, Harper and and just all those guys from there, um, they started getting uh, noticed and and getting drafted. And then uh, you mentioned the area code games. Was that the only opportunity that you had at that level in terms of showcase compared to what they're doing now where they're starting showcases at nine years old for kids. Yeah. Yeah. There was no perfect game. There was no PBR. There was, there was no showcase. There was mm-hmm. a, an area scout w- would do a couple workouts every now and then mm-hmm. you know, do your 60 yard dash, basically what a showcase is, right. Just kind of go through the, get some BP, take your ground balls, throw from the outfield, run that 60. Um, they're just, they're getting some numbers looking at the players in the Valley. That's all the it skills was. test skills test. Yeah. That's all it was. Yeah. Get to know them a little bit. Um, that was pretty big back then. Like when I was an area scout, that was, I think we did, that wasn't really a thing. We didn't really do workouts cause you, it completely changed where you, you were gathering all that information now f- from, you know, a showcase or an event. Um, but yeah, but that was actually kind of fun, right? As a kid, you're like, yeah, I'm going to the blue Jays showcase or tryout. Mm-hmm. 
um, mm-hmm. or a workout, you know, so you, it was a, you were invited to it. It wasn't like a cattle call. Like if, if you can pay, you show up, it was right. No, there's eight kids in the Valley. We're going to go work out for an hour and a half type thing. So it was, it was a private yeah. thing. Well, and it wasn't like you were trying out for a team either. It was like, yeah. you're already on a team and they've taken yeah. note of you and, and you know, wherever you are, whatever sport you're playing, unless you're brain dead, you kind of know who the other players are in the area that are thought of as, as being pretty good. Who are some of the other players from that area that you played against that you kind of looked at and, you know, realized, Hey, this guy's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, right after me, we had um, several that like my best friend, Nick day. Yep. Uh, he became my he former like client Gatorade player of the year. Right. So he, Nick went to Stanford, which is a big right. deal right out of yep. high school. Yep. So he, Nick day, uh, Taylor Myers was a second round pick the right. next year. Um, we had a couple of minor leaguers that were drafted. They, some of them went to UNLV, um, were drafted a couple years later. <clears throat> um, Ryan Ludwig. Right. right? He had a big league career. Great, yeah. great, great career. Kind of a guy that, um, probably wasn't quite a big prospect right out of high school, but was really, really good. Went to UNLV and became a star at UNLV and then continued that on to his pro career. Yeah. He grew um, into it. Yeah, a lot of lot of guys, probably like a lot of big areas, like Kevin Eberwine. Um, he, he was my year. He got up to AAA with the Padres. A um, lot of kids went to college, you know, went to pretty decent San Diego States and the Arizonas. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of guys like that. Um, Dave Krenzel came out of Green Valley a few years later. He I recruited like, him. I, yeah, he was like the... 11th pick by the Brewers, one of the fastest yeah. guys, you know, yep. a 6'2", 6'3", yep. 60 guy. Yeah, um, he could run. Yeah. He could run. His when dad, I, his yeah. dad was, uh, I don't know how well you knew Mr. Krenzel, but um, let me be nice and say he was very difficult to deal with. Um, his dad thought that his son was the second coming of Mickey Mantle. And Dave was a good player, and mm-hmm. as you noted, got drafted pretty high. But um, again, let me just leave it with saying Mr. Krenzel was difficult, sure. difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, okay, so now you mentioned your preference was to, to sign, but you were recruited by all those schools. Would you, I assume, picked a school and yeah. said, if I don't sign, that's where I'm going to go. Yeah. And what, what school was that? So I, my, I committed to Miami, right? So, um, Ron Frazier, Turtle Thomas, um, uh-huh. Jim Morris. Oh, Jim, Morris was the coach. Morris was the coach. So, uh, Turtle Thomas wowed me out in Miami. Um, it, it came down to Miami and Arizona state. Um, Arizona state had just got, um, Pat Murphy. Yeah. Uh, I believe what from Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, he was like in his first year at Arizona state. Um, so they came down to those two. And if I would have known I was for sure going to go to school, I probably believe would have gone to ASU. Um, it was closer, closer to home. Like yeah. it's there, there's a lot of history, but Miami was the number one team at the time. So, yep. you know, that's where my mindset was like, no, I'm going to the number one team. And it was actually really the only visit I went on. Um, I was so keen on like, let's just sign and get this over with. Like, I'm going pro like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so 
Um, and guys like uh, he, I guess he wasn't as big of a prospect then. But you think of like Pat Burrell, right? Pat Burrell was a '95 guy too. Yeah, went to Miami and became Pat Burrell, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ben Davis, the top catching, who went number yep. two overall, Pennsylvania. So a lot of those top guys were signing with Miami. I'm like, wow, yeah. been pretty decent. So, well, Turtle uh, is a great recruiter. Yeah, like it was, you know, Miami wows you with their stuff and and um, kind of looking back at it, I laugh a little bit because I'm a pretty laid back guy. Um, just I, I'd say I'm West Coast mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. So mm-hmm. kind of almost the the opposite demeanor of mm-hmm. what Miami is. It's pretty, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just different, right? Right. Um, so I don't know how well I even would have fit in there. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, it worked out that way and um, draft happened and here we are, you know. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. My, my relationship with uh, with Coach Morris was, was kind of schizophrenic. Um, there was a player who was there, gosh, it probably would have been right around the time you were recruited by the name of Jason Michaels. And yep. um, Jason was a prospect. Yep. He wasn't getting any... There were no agents interested in it. And I can't remember who it was, but there was somebody else on that team that I was recruiting. And Morris, I went down to Coral Gables to talk to him about somebody else. And Morris said, well, you know, we got this guy, Jason Michaels. Would you take a look at him? Because he's good. He's going to sign with some team. But for whatever reason, agents haven't really taken notice of them. There's, you know, these other players. And again, I can't remember who it was, but there was a guy on the team that was pretty highly touted then. I said, oh, yeah, sure. So, you know, took a look at him. He looked like a pretty decent player. I thought he had a chance. So, yeah, I I talked to him, recruited him. He became my client strictly on the basis of Jim Morris telling him to talk to me and him telling me to talk to him. Fast forward to 99, so a couple of years after you. There was a player out of high school that I represented, second-round draft choice of the Royals by the name of Kiki Bengochea, right-handed pitcher from Miami. And um, Kiki went to Miami and played there for three years and had a pretty decent career. And now it's his junior year. He's getting ready to to be drafted. And I'm sending him emails and calling him, and I'm not getting any response. Well, I wind up you know, getting in touch with his father, and his father was just – embarrassed that's the only term that i can use to describe it his Mm. father was embarrassed to even talk to me and tell me what had happened and what had happened was jim morris had gone to him and said you're a big prospect now i mean he was second round prospect out of high school it doesn't get a whole lot bigger than that but you're a big prospect now you need to have a big prospect agent you should have scott boris represent you and Unfortunately, Kiki wound up going with Scott Boris instead of me. And that's what his father was embarrassed about because I had done a great job for him out of high school. Didn't tell him to take the offer that he didn't want um, just to sign a contract. Um, Stayed in touch with him, gave him good advice the whole time he was there. And when push came to shove, um, I still have a small scar in my back from, you know, the knife, but nonetheless, sure. so that was my schizophrenic, uh, uh, relationship with coach Morris. He did produce a lot of players. Miami went to a lot of NC2A playoffs. They hosted a lot of tournaments at Miami. Um, but, uh, a different kind of guy, 
a different kind of guy. So now it's getting down to the point where the draft is coming up for you. You you mentioned you just wanted to get it over with and get signed and go out and start playing. So the draft comes, you get the call saying, hey, we've taken you. Did you have any idea ahead of the phone call that the Pirates were going to draft you? Yeah, they were they were the team that they were the one team that worked me out. So that was kind of a big thing. They had a, one of their main, in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, yeah, they had to fly you back to Pittsburgh. Correct. Yeah, it was. Okay. They they came to me, um, and and you know we were just kind of a regular Joe family. We we couldn't go fly anywhere and spend money to go do that type of stuff too. I think so. Um, they flew out like they're kind of one of their main scouts, Ken Squeaky Parker, if you remember mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. Um, old school guy from Mississippi. Um, so he flew in and, and kind of, if you remember Matt Williams, Matt, of course, Matt yep. Williams. So yep. he kept say, bringing up his name. He's like, man, you remind me of Matt Williams. Cause Matt was a shortstop, you know, V yep. moved to yep. third. He's like, I see a lot of Matt Williams in you. And I'm like, and at the time this is 95, Matt Williams is a superstar in the big yeah. leagues. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. you had a great career. Wow. So that was big. Um, but yeah, so the the Pirates, from my understanding, they they came down. If you remember Reggie Taylor, yes, uh, outfielder from the South, uh, they were interested in me and Reggie. They wanted to take a high school bat, from my understanding, um, and so did their due diligence, everything they wanted to do, and they they ended up taking me. And so yeah, I had the had the whole party, had all the the news crews were in the house. You know, this wasn't on right. TV like it is now. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Jeff Morad is the agent who I ended up going with and um, who actually represented Matt Williams, ironically. Right. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was pretty smooth sailing and Cam Bonifay was the GM at the time. And, um, you know, calls who was their director of players of scouting or player development? Do you remember? Player development was Paul Tunnell. Okay. Yeah. And so 17 years old, you know, and they're like, Hey, you know, the negotiation part was, it went pretty quickly where they're like, you know, Pittsburgh's a small market team. They don't got the most money. And so they're like, Hey, we'll, we'll give you what the 10th pick got last year. And that was Jarrett Wright, right. The right-handed pitcher pitched mm-hmm. for quite a while in the big leagues. Um, what will you accept that number? And it was totally fair. I'm like, let's go. Yeah, let's do this. Um, I wasn't the kind that's like, no, I want, I want a hundred grand more. I want to mm-hmm. beat that number. I could care less really. Right. Um, let's just go. And so, yeah, signed it. My parents hugged my parents a couple days later, sent me off to, to rookie ball in Bradenton, Florida. And, and uh, yeah, it was, you know, you're on your own, dude. <laughs> so now you're in, now you're in beautiful Bradenton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which uh, quite a highlight from, that had to be big time culture shock going from, well, not so much Las Vegas, but going from Henderson, which is, you know, you flew out of the Las Vegas airport. So going yeah. from Las Vegas and landing in Bradenton, that had to be culture shock. Yeah. And I'm 17, right? I, I don't know any better. I'm like, Ooh, it, I'm just the first thing you notice is the humidity, right? Cause flew out to Miami and like you could, you feel it right away from dry oh, yeah. humid and like, okay, you know, and, um, but yeah, I mean, you get to rookie ball and you, you recognize, okay, well, we got to wake up early in the morning. We get our breakfast, we go do a workout, 
you know, kind of the batting practice, ground balls, all that stuff. And just the routine, then you come in for lunch and then you go, you go play your game at one in the afternoon in Florida heat. And you're like, this sucks. This is, (laughs) this is fun. It's exciting, but man, this is kind of brutal, you know? Yeah. Um, And they were kind of like, yeah, you want to just play well and you'll get out of rookie ball pretty quick. And so I ended up playing pretty well. I went like seven for eight in my first two games and got off to a really hot start and um, got called up to Erie to the, to the short season team. Um, They were a few weeks into their season and, now, now I'm playing with college dudes. You know, I'm 17. These guys are 22, 23 years old. Um, yeah, so it was a pretty cool experience to kind of that first summer was interesting. What was it like socially? Because now again, you're you're going from rookie ball and you're going from high school to rookie ball, where most of the guys are about the same age as you. Although some of the Dominican kids may have been a little older or younger, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, cause they signed them pretty young. And by the time they brought them up to rookie ball, they might've only been 16 years old or right. some of them, they keep around a little longer, but in general, most of the guys there were pretty much the same age. So now you're in Erie. And as you say, you're, you're there with high school or excuse me, with college kids who are 22 years old. And what was that like? Cause that, that must've been an adjustment, maybe not so much in terms of the baseball aspect of it. Cause it's still three strikes and you're out. But in terms of dealing with these guys who are, um, you know, staying up till two, three, four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> chasing women, drinking beer or whatever. Yeah. And I can't imagine that that was your lifestyle at, at the time. Yeah, no, is so I went from the, <clears throat> I went from the dorm life, right. in rookie ball, like you have a roommate and there's bunk beds um, to now you got to, you're getting an apartment with three or four other guys that are, these are all college dudes. Um, you're, you're hundred percent right. Like I, I had to know going in, okay, what, what are my goals? Like, what am I, what's my intention? Um, I'm going to be with older, older guys that have more experience in that area of going out. And, um, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to be a drinker and go be a party guy. I, I wanted to stay focused on what I wanted to do. So it was actually mm-hmm. really easy for me to, um, I don't know if people could like, I was never really bothered. Like, Hey, you know, Hermie was kind of my, my nickname, but like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Out. I'm, like, mm-hmm. nah, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that stuff. So that, that didn't really, it didn't affect me much. Um, and I, I guess people respected that. Um, but yeah, I was living with college dudes and they, they were, you know, they weren't crazy by any means. So they were all good, good guys. And um, that kind of continued till next year in a ball lived with a few more guys and, um, so I, I don't have any of those crazy stories where like guys are going out to bars and getting um, some of my teammates did, you know, that I didn't live with, <laughs> they would get in trouble and end up getting released, you know, cause they end up in jail, all that stuff and yeah. messing, messing around with alcohol and women. And um, so that certainly happened. Um, but yeah, I just, I kind of had the blinders on that way. Like, no, let's stay focused on what you want and let's, let's get to the big leagues in three or four years here. Mm-hmm. How much pushback slash resentment or however you want to term it, did you get particularly going from rookie ball to Erie in terms of you being the number one pick? Because I know starting from my college roommates who 
played ball. One was a pitcher for the Royals and one was an outfielder for the Giants. Just listening to them after they came back after their first couple of years of pro ball and saying, well, you know, this guy was doing this and this guy was doing this. And then they brought in the number one pick and, you know, yeah. they, and the bonus boy took his job, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm so I, I dealt with some stuff in regards to it was maybe more internal for me, but being young and, and I knew that in the background, like I knew like, yeah, guys are going to be looking at you like you got this money. You like, so you, you better play like you better, but I kind of, you, you kind of already know that. Right. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just let your play and the way you show up, the way you treat people. Um, I'm a very, I guess, low key kind of guy. So I'm not like, I'm not a look at me, dig me kind of guy. So I'm not loud. Right. I'm noxious. Right. Like I'm, I'm just there to do the job, mm-hmm. have fun, but also like, nah, I want to win and get good at, at this, at this. Um, I think for me, I was 17, 18 years old, you know, playing shortstop and I was still trying to kind of figure it out. And and I was making a ton of errors, right? I was, I could catch everything and no really issues with that, but man, throwing that ball to first base accurately was really hard for me. And so I was making throwing errors on routine ground balls. And in my mind, I think it was maybe more like the pitchers. They're like, Oh, there goes Hermanson making another error routine ground ball. This guy's our first rounder, you know? So that would get in my head quite a bit. Um, and it was kind of my first taste of the mental game of like how important this is, like believing in yourself, you know, and just kind of not letting the others affect you, but it did big time for me. And, and within the two years of going from that short season to a ball, high, a double a, multiple errors, multiple amazing plays too. Like it was in there. And I think that's why they were like, dude, this guy can really do it. If he gets out of his own way. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the time I was 19 and double a, I'm like, get me out of here. Like, this is, this is not fun. You kind of like remember Derek Jeter when they were saying he he was making 56 errors and eight. Yeah. That was me. Right. Yeah. That was me just, just throwing the ball all over the place. And so that became to where it was not fun. And I'm like, do I even want to do this anymore? I'm I'm hitting. Oh wait, hold on one second. Yeah. When you say, do I even want to do this? Are you talking pro ball or playing shortstop? Playing short, mainly playing shortstop. Yeah, okay. like because it's kind of like, well, let's just be tough, right? And let's just work through it. But I also felt like I wasn't really like, is there anybody to help me with this? Like, can I? Like, I'm all here, and I don't even know like how do I get out of this. Um, this thing, the thing, if you will. Right. Um, so of course I think coaches and stuff could see something was happening going on, but they're like, Hey, just don't think about it. You know, just throw it over there. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> it's not working. Right. Only so- laughing because I can identify with it. Um, when I first started <laughs> in high school, I was playing third base and I didn't have the yips, but what we called it back then was scatter arm. If I was playing third base, you did not want to sit behind the first base dugout. Yeah. But you're in danger. And yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, pretty soon they moved me to right field um, because they wanted me to be in the lineup, Mm -hmm. but didn't want me playing third base. 
because even though, like you said yourself, I could catch the most of the balls hit at me. I still have some scars from balls that bounced off my shins. Um, cause at third base, you either catch it or you don't, it's by you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I can I can identify with you in terms of the way, on a much lesser scale, the way that it eats you up mentally because mm-hmm. it's just it, it it isn't fun. It isn't fun because you know your teammates. You're letting your teammates down. You're looking foolish in front of you know. In my case, the seven people that showed up for our high school games. I don't imagine you had huge uh, numbers of fans in Bradenton. Um, I don't know about Erie, but nonetheless, it's just, it's a cascade of shit is the only way I could describe it in terms of my experience. And if it doesn't affect your hitting, you are some sort of superhuman being because there's no way that you can't carry that into the dugout when, you know, the other team scored two runs and both of the guys got on base because you made an error. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And for some reason, I was able to somehow separate it a little bit, right? Where I kind of, okay, that's compartmentalized it. I guess, right? Without even really knowing what I was doing, right? But then I knew, like, okay, I made an error, get in the dugout. I got to, like, we call it flushing it, right? So I got to yep. flush that without even really knowing what I was doing. Yep. Um, but then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go rake now. Yeah. Like there, was, there was that switch, like, now, now's the fun part, right? Let's go hit. Um, so, did yeah, you feel like, like you were making up for your defensive shortcomings? Oh, there, for sure, there were some points okay. like that. Where, like you, in your mind, like you have this phrase, like you better, you better make up for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I, I'm such, I was such a people pleaser too, where I was like, I wanted to go hug the pitcher and be like, my bad, dude. Like I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Like I yep. sorry, I screwed this up yep. for you. And that doesn't really help too, right? That's um, in baseball terms, like there's a lot of different words we could utilize for that. But yes. um, but yeah, so like just error after error after error and you're like, okay, maybe I'm not good enough to be here. You know, yeah. maybe I'm not good enough to play at this level. Then you realize like, dude, you're 17 years old playing against 23 year olds. Like you're going to figure it out eventually if you just keep working hard at it. Was that truly your process back then? I mean, I realize you you recognize it now at at your age, but when you were there in that moment, did you recognize no. that then? Okay, no, I was. I it was more because we like, even though I was the first round pick as a shortstop in my I guess heart, which connected to my mind, I'm like, dude, you're going to end up in the outfield, uh huh, right? And so like, just do the best you can, right? But also like. It was it was just scary in a way. Yeah, yeah. you know. So you're well, just and you're away fear. from home. You're away yeah. from home at 17 for the first uh, extended period of your life. Yeah. Um, so I imagine you know every night you're calling home and talking to mom and dad, or I don't know if you had a girlfriend back then, and you know you're if so you're talking to her. I mean, it, it's a difficult situation at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I turned 17. Uh, 10 days before I graduated high school. And then I started my freshman year at college and I was calling home after about two or three weeks, I was calling home every night. Get me out of here, please. I hate this place. Let me come (laughs) home, please, please, please. And I wasn't kicking balls around in the infield. So I cannot even begin to imagine 
what that had to have been like. Yeah. Because you're, you're in a strange place. You're with a bunch of people that you don't know. And even worse than that, that, and please, if I'm wrong, correct me here. That's the sole focus of your life. You're not looking at this as a step to another step. I mean, for me, my, my, my original career path was to go to college and get my degree in political science and then go on and become an attorney for you. That wasn't even close to being the case. This is it. This is your whole focus of your life and has been probably since you were eight, nine years old, this is all you wanted to do in your life. And you're out there kicking balls around the infield. Well, not kicking balls, but you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in this the first time, like, and you made a good point, like in Bradenton, yeah, there's no fans. It's just, you're in Florida in rookie ball, but now mm-hmm. you're, you're playing at night and now mm-hmm. you got a couple thousand people there, a couple hundred mm-hmm. people there and you're throwing balls away. And for the first time ever, you start hearing like, boo, you're like, how much money did they pay you? Uh-huh. Like you're a bum, you know, kind of the negative chatter that you yep. hear from people yep. and you're like, Oh, like this sucks. Right. Oh, this yeah. is, <laughs> and you, you hear it, you know, cause mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know how to, I'm focused, but like, yeah, it's you also can't kind of quiet. And you're like, yeah, of course, everyone heard that. They're, they're like, you're the bonus baby, you know? Yeah. So, so that, yep. that, that, that certainly weighs on you. Um, and at this, but at the same time, you also kind of know, like, this is what you signed up for, dude. Right. This is, this is, how are you going to work through it and get through it? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to continue to hit. And just just do the best that I can here. And again, that was your thought process at that time? Because I, I just felt that my confidence is way higher. Okay. As a hitter. I'm like, okay, I, I can hit these guys, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can do, I was, it, you know, the first time that somebody wowed me in pro ball, uh, my very first game in Erie was Jose Guillen. Remember Jose Guillen, the right yeah. Pirates right fielder, right? He's supposed to be the next Roberto Clemente from a Pirates yeah. standpoint. Yeah. He he hit right in front of me. I think he was probably hitting third. I think I was hitting fourth. And he hit a ball, caught it deep, huge booming sound, home run to right field. It went off the right field foul pole. And that was like the first sound or crack that was like, whoa. Like yeah, that was a little big. different. That was yeah. big. Um, but then I was also like, I, I can do that. Right. Well, how about the adjustment from now? Were you swinging wood bats in high school? No, I practiced with wood my okay. senior year. Yeah. I was kind of so, advice given to me, like start, start swinging wood and practice a little bit. Right. So you had swung a little bit, but you still had to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. And it was bomb bats back then. Uh-huh. You had to swing a bomb bat. Okay. <laughs> and, and rookie so, ball. So what, who was the first pitcher that you, that you faced that really made you kind of sit up and take notice that it's not, because in high school, you know, most high school pitchers that that you're facing, either they throw real hard and that's what you got to watch out for, or they got a good breaking ball and that's what you got to watch out for, but -hmm. you don't face too many that have both, right? Yeah, they're. So, <laughs> so, so now, now you're getting to pro ball and it's like, okay, there's his fastball. Oh, he can, he can spin it too. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who was the first pitcher that you face? If you can recall that really yeah. made you say it's a different game now. 
the first name when you said that's jumping out to me was probably not. I mean, I'm sure there was some guys in a ball, but I probably, I can't remember their names, but double a Carrie right. Wood. Okay. Yeah. Carrie Wood, Carrie Wood was same draft. I think he was like the yep. fourth pick, but faced him. Um, they were in Orlando and you know, he's, he's throwing 94 to 98 and then has this hammer, this curveball that just first guy that really ever buckled me. In fact, he, he buckled me. I vividly remember he buckled me. I don't know what a bat it was, but with two strikes, he buckled me with his breaking ball, like broke my back. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what, what just happened? And even the umpire missed it. Like he must've thought it was up or something. And because I was he didn't like, ring you I up. was turning around like, okay, I'm, he got me there. Right. Ball. Yeah. And I'm like, no way. Okay. <laughs> Crowd goes and you know, they're like, what? And and, and I don't know why, but he threw me a next pitch fastball, probably 96, and I got on top of it and smoked it right back up the middle for a hit. And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, dude, just throw the breaking ball. <laughs> you got me. Yeah, um, no chance. Yeah, no chance with the hook, and he throws you a fastball. But, like, the first guy, like, you saw, like, dude, that ball is exploding out of his hand, right? And and he's 6'5". He was still pretty skinny back then, probably 190 for 6'5". Um but yeah, then you kind of started to face, like you know, there's more guys like that that kind of as you go up. Uh, but there were guys that threw hard, like in the the lower levels, mm-hmm. right? The, that but were mid, that around 95. Um, but yeah, is it going at your head, right? <laughs> is it missing missing a foot? You know, the Bull Durham pitcher, right? New yeah. Bulls, right? Yep. It's that yep. guy that's he has no idea where it's going. So that's well, how I felt at shortstop. Kerry, Kerry Wood buckled a lot of people. Uh, yeah. So 19 of them in one game, if I recall correctly, was yeah, the number. His, so yeah, that, yeah, that had to be a, uh, let's call it a learning experience. One other yeah. thing I'd like to ask about the period when you first signed, and then I, I'd like to go on to, to your experience um, later on in pro ball. Uh, what if anything what role in in your mind at 17 not looking back on it now but at 17 um what effect did the money have on you did you look at it and and like well i got all this money now or was it more like okay i got this money because i was the 10th pick in the first round and that's there for my future and i'm not going to think about it what was what was your yeah. mindset in regard to that? Yeah, I mean, I was, I don't know, I guess I've never been really money driven. Mm-hmm. It was more like I, I want to achieve these things and then that I guess the money will come. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I got seven figures as a 17 year old and I'm like, holy crap, you know, this is um, this is pretty cool. In fact, mm-hmm. I remember I remember. I told you all these interview people or newscast people are at the house and they're like, you know, like, I feel like they're almost more excited than I was. Yeah. Right? Like, this is so awesome. This is so cool. Yeah. Like, did you sleep last night? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was good. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I know I, I made my, you know, I bought my first, I got a Yukon, you know, when Yukon was on pretty right. big back then before Tahoe's right. came out. So right. that was my first big purchase. And mm-hmm. um, I guess I was actually probably a little too generous with, with <laughs> I bought my brother a truck. I bought my dad a truck. So we got all these cars, but I, it was kind of more like, thank you for supporting. All you've done for me. Stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, I wasn't. Um, and I guess thankfully that I, I had that approach because um, that put my signing bonus in I played 13 years total and I didn't make a whole lot of money when I got to the big leagues. because so it was so up and down mm-hmm. over, spread out over six years that it was ne- nothing is really consistent. Um, that my bonus really sustained me and my family through that whole 13 years of the ups and the downs. Mm-hmm. It was there because when you're playing, you're kind of for, I don't know, seven months, you're kind of almost spending money on two households. Oh yeah, definitely. You are, you're paying rent so, at home and rent, which you don't road. know that right at 17, you're just kind of like, mm-hmm. oh. but yeah, it was, um, did you have a financial that. advisor helping you with the yeah, money? Yeah, we we had okay. the guy my my agent set me up with with the guy they work with and um was trying so to So that made it a little easier. Did the mutual fund thing and um and, and it was really like I was kind of like okay, just take care of it. <laughs> um I don't know if you remember this story but when I was 19 um I was a part of that uh and I'm trying to John Gillette, that whole thing that went down in um, 19, I was in double A, 1997, where him and his secretary um, basically stole millions of dollars from all his clients, um, hundred grand from myself wow. um, through fraudulent things. We, you know, she would sign the athlete's name to certain things and mm-hmm. it would release funds and, um, I'm 17, 18, 19. I'm not looking at my money every day, so I don't know yeah. what's really happening. And, um, yeah, so he's, I think he's still in prison <laughs> really? for, for a lot of that stuff. So I went through that experience at 19 and I'm just like, you know, these different circumstances that happen that you have no control over. Um, and, and I'm like, I guess I handled that pretty well for a 19 year old. Like it didn't affect me. I'm like, yeah, I just got a bunch of money stolen from me, but I got to go play tonight. Yeah, well, and that's a hundred thousand after taxes, so <laughs> that's a kick in the balls. That's yeah, I think sure. you're like, wow, that's a bigger deal than you thought. But, um, but yeah, you know, seventeen, I'm like, I just want to play ball. Money. So, there. what year was it where they shifted you back to the outfield? That was in so that was in '99 in Double A when I okay. we and I don't know we were probably I don't know maybe a month in the season. I, I can't remember how long it was in the season and. Um, and I'm really trying, like, I'm really trying, you know, they, and I also kind of felt like I didn't have the help. Um, and I was too scared to ask for help, like, or even, I guess, recognize there's something wrong with me. Oh, regards. you remember what I said earlier about the pirates develop? Uh, yeah. And I, and developmental I don't know system. any better, right. It's just yeah. all I know. And, yeah. uh, but I'm like totally in my head with all that stuff. And, um, and I think the coaches know it. I think everyone knows it, but they're like, they don't know how to help me. They're not trained in that. You know, they're like, just stop being a P word, you know, stop being soft. Yep. Or, yep. Um, that was the answer to everything. Yeah. And so, yeah, you just kind of feel like you're on an Island. Um, and then I, I just finally came to kind of, yeah, after losing sleep over these things and like, just not feeling healthy about it. I'm like, I, I gotta go talk to my coach, you know, like this is killing me. Like I, so wait a minute, you initiated that as opposed uh, to them. Oh yeah. I went to my manager. His name was uh, Mark Hill, Booter Hill, and I, I go, I go, Booter. I like I, I'm done. Like I, I can't do this anymore. Like I, you need to stick. You need to 
call the pirate, call the organization, whatever you got to do. Like you need to put me in the outfield. Like I cannot play another game at shortstop. Like I mentally I've checked out and it, it had in 19 going to tell uh, your double a manager, like you don't know what is going to happen. I was just like, was that the Mark Hill that played in the big leagues? It was a catcher. If I recall yeah. correctly. Okay. Yeah. Caught for a long time. I, I, think. I, I can't believe it, that he's not the one that came to you and, and, and talked about it. But again, that was the inadequacy of, of what you were dealing with in terms of the way that nowadays it's almost, no, it's not almost, it's, it's way beyond the fact that, Teams are afraid to let players fail in their development because they believe it'll crush them. Back then, and particularly in certain organizations like the one that unfortunately for you, you were in, um, they just threw you to the wolves. And if you failed, you failed and they let you go eventually. Um, As opposed to now, particularly for the higher drafted kids, they're afraid to let them fail. Yeah. I I had a client out of high school who at 17 went straight, didn't didn't go to rookie ball, went straight to short season and dominated whatever it was, Northwest League or, or Pioneer League, whatever it was, throwing fastball, curveball. That's all he had. Well, after that, the team that drafted him took him to the Instructional League and insisted that he learn a changeup. Mm-hmm. And they changed his arm angle in yeah. order for him to be able to throw the, the changeup. Well, you know, let the batters tell him when he needs to throw a changeup. When you're out there, best pitcher in the league at 17, throwing two pitches, let the batters tell him you need another pitch. And and my thinking on that was always that if you go to a guy who's having success and you say, hey, you're having a success with fastball, curveball, you need to add another pitch, he's going to be kind of resistant. Well, why? I'm killing it. What do I need another pitch for? As opposed to you got a guy who's been successful fastball, curveball. Now you put him in a league where that's not enough yeah. and let him struggle a bit. And now you come to him and say, well, you know, the reason that you're struggling is because you've moved up a little bit. And these hitters, they can either lay off your curveball or they can turn your fastball around. Maybe you need an off-speed pitch. Because yep. there's not enough difference in terms of the velocity between your fastball and your curveball to make them recalibrate, you know, their bat speed, so to speak. Yep. Um, but it, it's just, it, it, I don't think it's a good way of doing things. But I didn't think the way that they threw guys like you to the wolves was a good thing either. So, so now you're in Double A and you're a month into the season, and you're moving to the outfield. Yeah. And did they work with you on it? Or did they just say, okay, go play the outfield? No, it was, um, no, it was like, <laughs> you're playing center field tomorrow, tonight. That's how quick it so, was. So the last time you had played in the outfield was your junior year in high school? Sophomore year. Sophomore yeah. year in high school. Yeah. And here you are, let's see, one, two, three, four years later, five years later? Yeah. Yeah, played the outfield five years, and they say you're playing center it, tonight, Jeff. And and it was that was totally fine. Like oh, I, I'm sure I it know, was a relief, was, no doubt. And I I played some outfield. I I played outfield in the area codes, so okay. actually too. So I was able to show I could do both. Like right center field to me was like it was just all natural, right? Yeah, but there's nothing like reps. No, exactly. And so I I worked my butt off. 
And I, when, when I work with kids nowadays, you know, as far as out, you know, when I was in that arena, um, I, the, the best thing you can do is take live balls during batting practice, like bust your tail off in batting practice and go right. live. So, right. Cause you, you need to read those balls off the bat. Right. Fungo's getting hit from outfielders, coaches. That's, you know, that's kind of just what you do to get a little bit more reps, but, but there's nothing that beats that live. So I, I knew that I guess right away. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend a round in every BP and just work my butt off. And so that was my routine that I developed uh-huh. and I was 19 right away. So, um, the kicker, so you're starting in center field and that's a huge relief. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. The kicker. Well, so, so, and I, and I'm doing great. Like I, I'm, I'm the, the, the weight of the world feels like it's off me now. Right. Go play the outfield, go do your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think i made the all-star team that year, you know, in double a doing well. Um, and the last month of the season, they, they, uh, coach comes to me i can't remember if it was if it was mark or whoever but they're like hey what what do you what are your thoughts on second base and i'm like well what do you mean they're like you know it's like well, you know you you could maybe possibly be like a, a ryan sandberg at second base like they, they didn't say that but they're like you could be a 2020 guy like they were kind of profiling me like you got the power you know you got the speed what if we try you at second and I, I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Oh, don't um, put me on the dirt, man. Don't put me on the dirt. But of course, like, be the org guy. Like, well, I, I guess I'll try it, you know, half-heartedly. And, um, and uh, I did a podcast with Tony Beasley, who is the third base coach with the Rangers now. He's been uh-huh. with the big leagues for quite a while. Um, he tells a story about he's in Calgary on like he's he's in his 30s in his last year or two of playing he doesn't know it yet and uh they call him in in calgary they said hey we need to we need to send you down to double a um hermanson is we're, we're, we're gonna move hermanson to second and we need somebody to coach him and teach him um and oh by the way we you're done playing like we're 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 they're gonna release you or we think you would actually be an amazing coach. So we want to give you a coaching opportunity. So they brought him down um, to be kind of like a player coach, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Tony's like, he, he, in our, in our interview, he's like, yeah, man, they sent me down there to like work with you a second base. He's like, I don't even remember doing any of that. I'm like, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> so like that, you know, like, I guess we just fill ground balls with each other. So it was just kind of like, again, okay, try second base and nothing's been fixed mentally of what's going on in my head about, you know, I guess the fear of throwing the ball away, um, the fear of my inaccuracies and, and all these things and what's happening. So nothing's been addressed there. Um, and so now well, not only just, that, but it's a completely different situation. It's a completely it, it, it different was almost position. Worse. It was almost really worse, uh, even closer, right? Yeah. Like, how can you not make this 20 foot throw? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, well, so and, I, and the double yeah. play, the double play is completely different as a shortstop. <laughs> you're back when you're here. making a double play, right? Yeah. Second base, you, you're catching the ball. And the next thing you know, the guy's yeah. on you. And, and of course I was money in practice and infield was just 
good. Mm-hmm. That game hit, and my mind went to a completely fear-based thing. Um, so I, so I, so we finished the double A season, right? And because, because their thing was too, like, and I totally get where they were coming from. Like, if you can do like an average job at short or second, like you're Jeff Kent, you're Ryan Sandberg, like mm-hmm. you're an all star. If we send you to the outfield, you're just, you're just a guy. Well, you know, who knows? Who knows? Right. Um, I think it might have also been based on their assessment of what was in the organization. Correct. They may have felt that they had more outfield depth than they they wanted. Yeah. Right. And they wanted to figure a way to get you into the lineup because they, number one, had given you a lot of money. Number two, saw your potential with the bat and figured if we can have all these guys in the outfield that we like and yeah. that mm-hmm. then we're a better team than we are trying to squeeze, let's say five guys into three outfield positions. hundred percent. Yeah. And and you're kind of like, and I was still so young, like I didn't know how the org stuff worked, like kind of mm-hmm. what they're thinking. And like, I just want to mm-hmm. play, but then mm-hmm. you get older, you're like, okay, what, what's the strategy here? And so, um, then I go from that double A into the fall league. So I get into the fall league. I'm playing second base, um, go off hitting wise. Um, I think I still hold the record in the Arizona fall league for the most run scored. So just killing it, like hitting mm-hmm. eight or nine home runs or something. Um, against very good competition at that. Against the best, right? The double yeah. A, triple A guys. Yep. And I'm yep. 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, just turned 20. Um, and then I, Going into my twenty-year-old first year of, I get, I make the AAA team in Nashville, second base, and I'm like, dude, this is like, feels like the big leagues to me. Like, I'm holy cow, I'm in AAA at twenty. Um, well, same, and you're playing against guys that had been in the big leagues. Yeah, you're these in AAA. Are, these are guys I've seen on TV now, and they've been yeah. they've been sent down, or they didn't make the team out of spring, and so mm-hmm. it was exciting, but it's still scary, you know, mm-hmm. and. Still trying to figure it out. Long story short, again, another, I, I last three weeks, four weeks at second. Can't figure it out, making errors, you know, and it feels even bigger because now these are, I'm, I'm affecting these guys from getting to the big leagues is what it felt like to me, like these pitchers. And, um, and so that last four weeks did the same thing. Trent Jewett was my manager. I go, Trent, I go, this is like, I, I don't even know what I said, but like, I can't do it anymore. You know? So it felt like, of course, I'm like, God, am I giving up? Am I giving up too soon? Like, but I also feel like I'm not getting the help that to, to speed this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was like, just get, I need to get back to the outfield. And so they, they're like, okay, like, we'll do what you want to do. And which I was like, where's it? Cause I had no clue where it's going to go. They're like, no, let's just keep battling. Let's keep working. And, um, but I don't know if they just didn't have, they didn't come back to me with that option. You know, like, um, they would bring in the infield coordinator and maybe do some things and, Hey, it's your feed. It's your, what it's your thing, setup. What? Yeah. Just, uh, it's so just it, was all, say. it was all physical. Right. I'm like this guy here. <laughs> can we get some help here? What, you know, and I didn't know how to do that or ask for it. And I'm like, I'm a mess. <laughs> well, Chad, I'm sorry yeah. you went through that, but that I'll tell you what, um, 
I can't remember not telling a client of mine ever in the whole time that I was an agent from very early on. Don't even talk to the pirate scouts. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Don't even, if, if they come up and they want to talk to you or they want to work you out, you've got a dental appointment or whatever it is, because no, I I mean, I had, yeah, I had clients that got traded over there and they just told me everything that you've said, right. Everything that you've said that, that, you know, they just, they basically say, here's the bats and balls and go out and play. And the guys that they, you know, thought did better moved up and the guys that they thought didn't do well got released or got traded away. And, um, you know, it wasn't the we are family organization anymore. Right. Um, because by the time you got there, I'm trying to remember when they were sold, but it wasn't too far away from where you were drafted by them. But, but even, you know, after, Harding Peterson, I think it was, left there. Things started to go downhill pretty quickly. And the mm-hmm. team didn't want to spend money. Um, you know, once free agency came in, they kept up with this, oh, we're a small market team, we're a small market team, we're a small market team. Well, you know what? So Cincinnati. Yeah. And they had how, yeah. how many World Series champions? So is Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They were even when the, the teams there weren't championship caliber, they were always competitive. Um, Minnesota Twins, they small market team there, but the Twins just developed player after player after player after player who either went on to be successful or them, or, or they used them as trade bait and acquired another player in return. So right. It, right. it just, Pittsburgh was just a, a, a black hole. I think, you know, let me be nice about it. Okay. It's, so now, now you're in double A and they move you to the outfield. Yeah, and just, yeah. You you was it the same sort of reaction as when it happened before? The weight of the world came off your shoulders. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So Trent Jewett was my manager. Went into him, and I, I was like, kind of saying same story over. Right, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, give me the outfield. I was back in the outfield that night. Um, he actually hit me some fly balls hit like 30 fly balls. I think just, uh, can, can, I sure trust you? can I trust you? You can catch this ball and, um, and throw it back. Them, I'm like, and this is so easy. Throw it back. Well, <laughs> just too. chuck it back right. into the infield. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and went on and hit 28 home runs. You know, I'm the youngest guy from in the that league. point forward or for the whole season. Well, just, yeah. Cause it was, it was like a few weeks, I think into the season when I okay. said, okay, enough's enough. And you hadn't gone deep too many times before that. Yeah, no, I was, I think I was hitting okay, hitting okay, you know, um, but you know, going back into that infield dirt, it was like, ugh, like it was anxiety, so much anxiety, which I didn't. Yeah, even know I'm, what sure. That was. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but yes, it was that. Um, so yeah, 20 years old, 28 home runs. Um, <laughs> kind of the, the rest of the story goes. Um, after my after that year when I was twenty, I, I I hate to bring like almost this story up, but it, I guess it's just part of the story. And so, um, the big league hitting coach after that season, um, he would kind of probably I'm assuming he would contact the top prospects and like how did everything go? Da 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 da. Um, hey, you did great. Had a great year. A lot of strikeouts, hundred and fifty something strikeouts. You know, which I guess comes with the territory of being young. 
and young hitter, right? And so we need to um, need to figure that out. Need to cut down your strikeouts. I remember um, you you kind of have this chicken wing to your swing, which is you know that lead elbow working out back yep. in, um, which I kind of just had some natural lift in my swing without even mm-hmm. doing anything with that. So hey, let's get you more like direct to the ball. Um, didn't even really share like how to do that. Like, let's just get you more direct to the ball, thinking more maybe down and through it. Right. Backspin, backspin the ball. Right. Right. Yeah, I can do that. I'll work on it all off season. You got it. Um, show up, na- make Nashville again, 21 years old and go out. And ha- this was the best year I've ever had is the thing I hit like 270 something, 32 home runs. 97 RBIs I'm hitting in front of Aramis Ramirez, right? Who's a borderline hall of famer. Yep. Turned, turned out to be, <clears throat> um, now, now I'm an outfielder and have been labeled as, um, the best outfield prospect we've had since Barry Bonds. Right? That's high so, praise. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, I hit 60 home runs in two years. Like the, yeah. it's all there. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So have my best year, all-star, all that stuff. Um, get called up to the big leagues. Um, have my first game. What and part of the season? This is September. So September, September call-up. Call okay. Yeah. I have my first game. Um, go 0 for 3, but I smoked a ball the very first game. Reggie Sanders snow-coned it. And, like, I'm feeling mm-hmm. good. Like, yeah. I, I'm here. Like, I've been through all this crap. Um, Were you playing center? I, I was playing left. Okay. Left. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we had at that time there was uh Al Martin and Brian Giles. Okay. They, you know, Giles had just come over. Um Cleveland, I think, right? Ger- yeah, Jermaine Allensworth, uh Adrian Brown, I think was in that mix. So there's so now I'm starting. So second day, I go, well, I mean, I need to go, let's go work. Let's I, I didn't get to do my routine the first day. Let's go to the second day. And I, so I start hitting with the hitting coach, right? And in order for me to kind of work down through the ball, I over-exaggerated in, in flips and T-work. So I'm kind of, I'm getting a little bit steep, you know, mm-hmm. hitting turns, choppy. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to backspin the ball through the back of the cage, hit hit down through it pretty hard. Um, so about, I think he was flipping me like 10 balls in a row. And this, what I remember is he stops. He's kind of like, he's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, my eyes go big and I'm like, well, what do you, what are you talking about? What do you mean? He's like, well, you're, you're, you're too steep. Your bats in and out of the zone. You're, you're chopping it. You're bat-. And I'm like, so imagine like now what's happening here. And I'm in my, my immediate thought was like, you told me to do this a year ago and I yeah. just did it. Yeah. I just showed that it worked with my best year ever. And now, now you're telling me something different, like to change your approach. Like let's get, cause your bats in and out, let's get you flatter. And that, that's all true. Like you want yeah, to keep your bat in the zone longer keep it in the zone. Yeah. But that translated for me of, of down, like as I, as you turn, like that actually gets you flat. Right. That was how I hit, you know, that it worked. And so in in a nutshell that day, he's like, no, let's, let's get you like lifting the ball just a little bit. So that's what it felt like to me. So, um, 
as you can imagine, changed completely my approach and my mindset back to like an old way that didn't feel right to me anymore. Um, so now I'm just like, but I guess the thing that still sticks out to me was he said, you can't hit like that here. Like this was some major stage, some major thing. Um, and, uh, so that felt heavy to me. I'm like, Oh crap. Like now I'm back to, am I even good enough to be here? Like, so I'm playing that I'm not good enough game. And so just that little conversation in a matter of like a couple minutes registered with my now 21 year old brain, right? Like I'm not good enough to be here. I have to listen to all these people. Yeah. And now I'm still not trusting my ability of what I can actually do. And I'm, I'm pretty right. damn good. Right. And now with me and my coaching pra practice, I do like that became interference for me. And now I got to please this guy and do everything he tells me to do or else I'm going to get in trouble or something or get yeah. sent down. Get that sent um, back down. Yeah. So that set off for me. I was 21 at the time. I played till I was 30. Um, in a way, like I felt like a victim, but I also played the victim because now I utilize that as a crutch for me when I, every time I struggled, I would go back to like, well, yeah, because he changed your swing, right? So mentally, I'm laughing. I'm <laughs> laughing because just a moment ago, when when I, I was talking about how I used to have my clients tell the pirate scouts that they had a dental appointment or whatever, I was thinking, you know, I, I at the end of the of every episode, I reintroduce my guests and say, "This is so and so." I was thinking myself, should I introduce you as a survivor of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I survived. <laughs> oh, you're, 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 you're I tried in one to, piece. I guess. You're in one piece. You're not in an institution. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say you survived. No question about yeah. it. You, I would say you more than survived. You succeeded. You had a, you, like you said, you played 13 years, all told, in pro ball. And then you went on to to other uh, positions in the game. You were a scout, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. We've, we've been going for a while now, and my yeah. producer just walked in and showed me a note. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to wind it up and um, I want you on again because I want to talk about from where we are now at the point where you are being given contradictory information and how that's eating away at you mm -hmm. and go from that into the latter portions of your career and how that led you to where you are today imparting the knowledge that you gained from all of this flat out abuse and neglect that you experienced imparting that knowledge on to other people that you know you're hoping don't have to go through the same sort of uh abuse and neglect that, that you went through <laughs> that'd be fantastic yeah seriously I, I, looked, I looked at the time i'm like wow we've been going I know. I know. Well, look, when I, when I talked to you over the phone, I said, you and I are going to just sit there and talk. Lost in conversation. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and that's the enjoyable part of it, but you know, it, it's like an, a, a, what you went through is, is very similar in, in characteristics to an abusive relationship, husband and wife sort of thing, because 
You loved the game. You didn't necessarily love the Pittsburgh Pirates. You loved the game, but the part of the game that you loved was abusing you mentally. It was making you doubt yourself as a as a man. It made you doubt yourself as a player. And um, but yet you you kept going back to it despite the abuse. And you tell me because you've had more training than I in terms of dealing with mental health issues because of your coaching, mental coaching career. Mm-hmm. If that's not the definition of an abusive relationship, hell, I don't know what is. Yeah. I so, mean, it's, it's so, it, well, that's been the hardest part, I guess, to like just talk about it and bring it out. Cause like the last thing I ever want to do is like, dude, are you making excuses? Cause you didn't, you know, become, you didn't play 10 years in the big leagues. You didn't become yeah. that all-star. Um, yeah. So that's always weighed heavily on my mind in regards to like, do I even share this story? Um, and then I find out, you know, talking to more of my teammates and players, you know, surrounding that. And and I, I want to be completely frank. Like I don't, I don't hate the Pittsburgh organization. I don't hate my coach, you know, that did these things. I, I do truly believe that they had, they did their best with what they knew and what they had, mm-hmm. but yeah. there were no, there were no tools or there were no coaches to talk to you like what they have now. So that I think that's where the game has really progressed. Well, not only that, Chad, and again, we're probably going to talk for another <laughs> hour, but not only that, but but we were talking about Mark Hill, your, your coach in double A. Think of how he was developed. Think of what things were like for him yeah. when he was 19 or 20. There wasn't anybody telling him, hey, you when that guy stole second and you threw the ball into center field, here's what you did and here's what your thought process was. Forget the physical side of it. Here's what your mental process was. You were thinking about the last time you threw a ball away instead of just letting your mind be blank and letting your body take over and do what your body's capable of doing. That wasn't the mindset then. You know, it, it, it mm-hmm. really wasn't. So. My guest today has been Chad Hermanson, a survivor of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, (laughs) who who I've known for Uh, many years now. We will get back to this because there's a lot of other ground we need to cover. Uh, I've enjoyed this tremendously, and I hope you will come back. Um, I'll touch base with you in the next week or so, and we'll get something on the calendar, all right? Yeah, sounds good, David. Thank you for having Excellent. me on. And that's it for another edition of Follow the Money Ball with your host, David Sloan. To make a comment or a suggestion for a future guest, reach out to David at followthemoneyball.substack.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.